This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome back to A Complete History of Manchester United. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, author and producer of several Manchester United books and film documentaries. We'll joined, as always, on this path down Old Trafford history by the legendary football writer Paddy Barclay, author of, I'm going to start saying many books now, different books on Manchester United history. Now that we've passed the Busby era, obviously to the earlier episodes, the, the Matt Busby um, biography is more relevant, but as we mm. come future episodes other biographies also relevant to um great writing obviously anyone knows i'm a fully paid up member of the paddy barkley fan club if, if not paid no. up then certainly done so with his advertisements so that's <laughs> not- <laughs> um, if you're watching the video please give us a like and subscribe and join in the conversation in the comment section if you're listening to us on the audio podcast please be sure to subscribe and give us a review on the platform you are listening on so, uh, Paddy, this time round, it's a 71-72 season, recorded in some books on some football literature as one of the, some football literature as even the greatest football season ever. Um, certainly a very eventful one at Manchester United as we're going to be taking the walk down this road. Um, it's the start of the Franco Farrell era at uh, Manchester United. Before we talk about United, let, let's get into the feeling. I know we're going to do the summary at the end of the season like we always do. But it was a great season, wasn't it? Rules were changing, so they were allowing for um, better attacking play. So they were outlawing the tackles. They were making, clamping down on that a little bit. Um, yeah. There was a little a little bit more speed in the game because of that. And do you think yeah. that was one of the main reasons? I mean, you mentioned it last time as well. Teams were becoming more like teams, coaches, great yeah. coaching in this era as well. Mm. Yes. I mean, the... There, there, there were signs of improvement. I mean, it, it, it was to be slow. Um, I don't think in the 1970s, the year, the, the decade we're, we're approaching now, just getting into, <clears throat> not not all of the problems were solved. I mean, it, but football began to develop into the game we see today. Pitches were still inadequate um, by today's standards, certainly. Um, but yes, there were the the, the 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 clamping down on on really bad tackles was um, 
which had actually bedeviled, I mean, really, Dennis Law's career, which was now coming to an end in 71, 72, or beginning, the beginning of yeah. the end. Um, you know, his career by now, he was being injected into his ankles and, and knees in particular um, all the time, you know, and, and this clearly the, the kind of punishment that was being taken by the likes of Best and uh, of, of Law and George Best. Yeah. Uh, at one stage, it was it was reckoned that George Best's off the field pro problems were exacerbated by the battering he was taking from defenders yeah. all the time, uh, and that there were actually footballing reasons as well as sort of chemical reasons for it. So, yeah, a lot needed to be done, but at least, as you say, that there was a consciousness in the game that that something had to be done. Jimmy Hill. There were a lot of people. Matt Busby were all moving in. The direction of trying to make a life a little bit easier for creative players and i suppose laying the foundations of the the golden age that we now see the golden age of messi um ronaldo um luka modric you know and so on so um yeah that's it, it's a fair point to, to to talk about the broader outlook but unfortunately for united uh, far from a dawn it, it, it was more like a dusk Although there was a false dawn at the start of the O'Farrell era, Wayne, um, it did, you know, nobody would have guessed at first that O'Farrell wasn't finally the answer to uh, the problems of the succession to Busby. No, absolutely not. Um, we'll put up a, a note of Frank O'Farrell here as we uh, talk through the start of the season. Yeah, you mentioned that it was a great start to the league season. There was a little bit of disappointment in pre-season when United with their infinite wisdom, decided to enter the Watney Cup again and were beaten by Halifax Town in the um, George Best scoring in that. But the league season started uh, really well. Now, an interesting story here because um, at the back end of the previous season, there had been some crowd trouble. You alluded to this uh, difficult era in the 70s. Crowd trouble mm -hmm. certainly a major element of that. Um, United supporters have been... Um, well, there's, there's no two ways around it. They, they were responsible for throwing weaponry onto the pitch against Newcastle. Police found knives. Um, and United subsequently were ordered to play the first two home games at neutral grounds. Uh, the first two yeah. home games of the 172 season. Um, I'll get onto those in a moment. So you've got Franco Farrell on, on screen there, and I'm just going to pop up uh, an image of Malcolm Musgrove as well, because as we go through this journey, obviously we're putting every single player up, but as we've this is the first real change in the coaching staff that we've come to. And I don't suppose that Malcolm Musgrove is a faith that many people are familiar with, considering his relatively short stint. And that's what this podcast is here, to provide a little um, insight into the people who made their own contribution in United history. So, yeah, we'll talk about this. Um, the league season starts with two away games, Derby and Chelsea. First one, 2-2 um, at Derby. The second one, three two at Chelsea. I'm right in saying, Paddy, that this was a night. Um, this was football's night of shame. I know that people talk about this. Um, this season being one of the greatest and most entertaining because of the things that follow. But a, a number of records because of the rule changes were brought in. George Best had been involved in an altercation at Chelsea. A lot of uh, incidents were happening around football. Um, Best had thrown the ball at a referee or something, or he'd started swearing at a referee. Yeah. This incidentally went all the way to a football um, association meeting where 
it's the, I, I wrote about it in the George Best book. Um, it's the most ludicrous story that you could think of because they knew that George Best, because of the previous incident in the last yeah. season where he was suspended sentence and obviously the, the six-week ban and everything, this was another misdemeanor. And he was banged to rise. Best was seen. He was staring at the referee. And, you know, the referee knew all about it. He'd taken the note down and everything like that. So he knew there was no two ways about it. Best, knowing that a long suspension was awaiting him and knowing that United couldn't afford to lose him from the game. And I'm sorry, Paddy, I know this, this is... We prepare our notes in advance for this, but the George Best stories this season, I just haven't put in. And there are a couple in this, but this first right. one is a great one. So he, he basically... He constructed his own defence and he went to his United teammates and he said, right, which one of you lads is going to be willing to take the blame for me on this and say that I didn't swear? Charlton denied because he thought he was aghast at the idea of cheating the officials, I, I presume. So I think Dennis Lowe shied away from it. Willie Morgan said, I'll do it. And they came up with this defence where Willie Morgan claimed to have said something, but mm -hmm. claimed that it wasn't a swear or something like that. So this ludicrous... Yeah. Because uh, they didn't have strong television evidence in, in the court in the in the in the room where they had this um, meeting, this hearing for George, and it basically came down to the referee thinking, "What? So I've heard a ventriloquist-like sound from George Best, and it's actually Willie Morgan saying it." And they were like, "Well, all the pictures, the pictorial evidence supported what the referee was saying, but because Willie Morgan was so insistent that he was the one guilty of it, they had no option but to drop the case against Best." And in the newspapers, I think the hearing was like a couple of days before United played at Palace, and the newspapers were actually defending this, like saying, we don't want George Best to be kicked out of the game, so anything that's good for it. <laughs> so this tragedy of misjustice, um, mis miscarriage of justice, um, ended with George Best escaping by the skin of his teeth, which um, United were thankful for in the short term when they played because United started the season very well. George Best in incredible form. Yeah. Um, before before we move on to that form, the two home games that United played then after the Chelsea game, Arsenal they played that game at Anfield. Mm -hmm. So a trivia question for anyone. Um, and then the next game was West Bromwich Albion at Stoke. George Brett mm -hmm. uh, magnificent in both games. He had seemed to respond to O'Farrell's management and the recent changes in this low to outlaw the tackle from behind. I mean, his form was incredible in that period of time there's a hat-trick against West Ham the famous goal against Sheffield United everyone remembers yeah. also another story where United played Ipswich uh, in the league and they played him in the league cup back to back George scored from a corner against Ipswich in the league game if we can remember the story of Wolves a few earlier um, episodes ago where he, he deliberately meant to do that he deliberately meant to do it again um and that was a match winner. So a couple of days later, United are drawn to play against the same opponent. Bobby Robson, the Ipswich manager, says, well, there's no way we'll be beaten by a fluke again. George Best, knowing that it wasn't a fluke, um, attempted to score again from a corner at Portland Road. Uh, it hit the post, so it doesn't go in, but he's obviously meant to score from it. George seeks out Bobby Robson on the touchline and winks to him. <laughs> and I think Bobby Robson admitted, all right, you meant yeah. to do that. Uh, talk, talk to me. I'm going to talk about the problems that came into United, but talk to me about this version of George Best because, I mean, in terms of a purple patch of run, this was as good as he'd ever played. And let's make no mistake about that, he, he was absolutely unplayable in that period. Yes, yes, that's true. Um, I mean, despite the, the problems or, or the indiscipline off the field, which caused him 
often to miss training. You know, sometimes he, on more than one occasion during the season, he would have gone into the, a match untrained. Um, and, uh, you know, he was, uh, you know, he moved into this modernist white tiled house in Bramall, one of the Cheshire suburbs, North Cheshire suburbs. And he was a, you, you, you know, the, the, the Franco Farrell ordered him to move back into Mrs. Mrs. Fullaway's digs in Cholton Come Hardy, um, where he stayed when he originally came over from Ireland. And um, he he said, yeah, okay, I'll do that. But he didn't really. I mean, he kept the, the Bramall house for another year or so. And <clears throat> I, I, I mean, it was it was a shambles in terms of, of of preparation yet as you rightly say his performances were as good as ever he was only 26 so he was able to get away with it um and and as you say the, the, the some of some of his most memorable performances some of his most memorable goals for united uh, occurred during this period um basically children don't attempt this if you want to make a living as a professional footballer. But George Best was a genius, uh, true genius, as they, as uh, the book title would have it. So, um, yeah, uh, it, on the face of it, there didn't seem to be so much wrong. But any reader of a newspaper knew that um, knew that there were things going wrong. It was, I think, during this season that he went off to Marbella announced his retirement towards the end of the season yeah well yeah so we'll, we'll talk about the difficulties then because that's what precedes <coughs> um, this moment in time um united's defense is rick they're 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 playing tommy o'neill at right back um steve james is playing at center back but th these aren't united standard players and it's obviously no. united. two or three players in the defense another midfielder for certain and it's, either another striker or another goal provider from the wing to take the pressure off George Best. Yeah. George um, scores the winner against Derby County. He scores the winner at Newcastle when the IRA have put a threat in. Um, it was yeah. later found out to be a, a hoax threat, but everyone took it dead seriously. Apart, everyone apart from Paddy Crimmins seemed to take it dead seriously. Um, but George, <laughs> George, as as he would do. I mean, he, he, he was taking it seriously. He really believed there was a threat on his life, but he played and scored the game's only goal. And the Newcastle manager at the time said, I wish they had shot the little bugger, which shows you the um, <laughs> politically <laughs> incorrect stuff uh, uh, that went on at the time. Uh, but the point is that the pressure on George was growing from an unbelievable um, angle on, on all angles. You've got this like this IRA um, thing with the troubles back in Belfast, where he was seen as a figurehead. Um, and obviously one of the most prominent Irish uh, people in the world at this time. Um, and obviously, this flogging that was going on, Dennis Law was already like a walking cripple. And so United, like, well, United's opponents knew that they just had to target best. It was a lot easier to target, which probably goes somewhere to this, um, describing Law's great form at the start of the season because Law was the one, uh, best was the one getting flogged. Um, United's defence didn't hold out for as long as it could, or Farrell didn't. Um, anticipated that they needed the changes. So when United was shipping a lot of goals, two goals, two goals, two goals, it was best hat tricks that were keeping them competitive. And when best was getting kicked all over the place and eventually those goals dried up, 
yeah. the goals still kept coming against United, and um, United were, were struggling really bad. They went on a run. They were top, by the way. We should incidentally say this. After a run of like a great run of performances where they beat West Ham, beat Sheffield United, beat Derby, beat Newcastle, they even uh, they won five to a new, uh, Southampton, where best scored another hat trick. Um, Sammy McElroy scoring in that game as well. He just made his debut as a 17 year old. Mm-hmm. United were top of the table going into Christmas. Franco Farrell um, heralded so uh, rightly and um, widely by the British press that he was being um, declared the best British coach. You know, he's, he's really mm-hmm. been heralded uh, best best coach in Britain, I should say, not because he was Irish, obviously. Um, but then. Things started to turn. The defence obviously didn't get sorted and United went on this drastic run of form. You mentioned George Best. He had a, he had a particular <coughs> West Ham where on New Year's Day, West Ham beat United 3-0. Best was kicked all over the place. Um, so he was so upset with this, he just went on a, a jolly. Didn't mm. turn up for training. O'Farrell had had enough of this. Dropped him from a game against Wolves, mm. uh, which was obviously massive news at the time. Like I said, Best, um, a, a team that United needed to be built, built around. Um, oh, it's, so it seemed that he'd lose against Wolves. So O'Farrell's left in a catch-22 situation. He's got to call best back up. He can't afford to not play with him. United lose seven games in a row. Mm. O'Farrell realises he's going to make this change. In the midst of this, Northern Ireland play a game against Hull, uh, in Hull, sorry, against Spain. Best is taking Sammy McElroy there. The sports writer John Roberts, who you will know well, Paddy, yeah. he was the confidant of George's. In fact, he was, I think he was his ghostwriter for some of his columns in the Daily Express. And yes. they had this he was, meeting. That's, right. that's true. Best basically had this conversation with him where he said, I'm, I'm at my wit's end, I don't know what to do. And this is right about the time when he was in the new house in, in Bramall. You know, I wish I'd got a picture and we'll put it in the next episode. It's an infamous house that was designed. It was absolutely garish and still survives today, actually. It's still there. Um, looks it's probably, <laughs> probably listed, isn't it? It's a historic yeah, possibly. possibly. Um, best at this moment in time is so dismayed by what's happened at Old Trafford. He's, he's talking to John Roberts. He's saying, all right, Sammy's coming and he's doing really well. And he's got a great future in front of him, but I can't afford to wait the four or five years it's going to take for him to reach his peak. We need strengthening now. He's so disillusioned. And really, you could say, Paddy, that this this interjection, not that any club would ever, and especially not United, would be held ransom to the demands of a player, but I think mm. best disillusionment and the conversations he was having with O'Farrell basically were the prompts mm. to make him go into the transfer market. Yes, uh, absolutely. And uh, to that end, I mean, O'Farrell, whether it was O'Farrell who made the signings or Busby, who was still an influence, Busby no longer was general manager as he had been under Wilf. I mean, O'Farrell had said, no, I take the manager's office. That's mine and Busby had to move out. Busby... um, and Busby had lost the general manager's title, but he was on the board. He was also yeah. the proud owner of the souvenir shop, which had, it was no longer a shack outside the ground, but it had been incorporated into the stand uh, at the Warwick Road end. But uh, now said Matt Busby way. But the, the, um, Matt, that Matt was still very much de facto general manager, at least in his own mind was illustrated when United did go into the transfer market for and and bought very well 
uh, Ian Story Moore from Derby County. Now, this was a player who cost £200,000, which was a huge fee at the time. He was a superb player, a goal scorer, a winger who would score virtually a goal every other game. I mean, this it's very difficult to exaggerate how good he was, but suffice it to say <clears throat> that the best team in the country at the moment, which was Derby County under Brian Clough, wanted him. Uh, United wanted him. And two, at least two of the other big clubs wanted him. Uh, and rightly so, from Nottingham Forest. But there was politics, of course, Nottingham Forest, Derby County. Derby County considered themselves, were so desperate to get him that they virtually hijacked the transfer after Busby and O'Farrell had gone to, uh, to Nottingham. And Clough and his assistant, Peter Taylor, virtually kidnapped Moore, as, as, as they did with other players, including Archie Gemmell later, and sat there and convinced him to the extent that they paraded him at a match at the baseball ground, Derby's ground at the time. Huge headlines, as you can imagine. But Busby and O'Farrell weren't having that. They went to, uh, on the Monday, after this parading, at, at which Clough alleged that the signing had already been done, the forms hadn't been signed, signed by Forrest. Story more had signed uh, uh, a form. They so on the Monday, Busby, which is a day off, uh, Busby and uh, and O'Farrell turn up at Ian Story Moore's house, and Busby says, "You know, this Clough is a bad lot. You know, he's got you into trouble with parading you when he shouldn't have done, and he's the FA don't like him, and and this, that, and the other. Uh, they're investigating certain other shenanigans, and you don't really want to be playing for this fella." So O'Farrell, uh, sorry, uh, Story Moore thinks again. He said, can you imagine his head must have been spinning? He's a Derby County legend because he's been paraded on the field and he's about to sign for United. He eventually just signs for United. And as the season went on, uh, he came to regret that because of slightly, because Derby continued the progress to the league title under Clough, uh, and United went um, a bit pear-shaped. And <clears throat> it, it, but at least Story Moore made his contribution. He was brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant. There was another signing um, in in that era. The, the, this attempt to revive the squad, and that was um, Martin Buchan from Aberdeen, 125,000 he cost um, to, to bolster the central defence. Now, Buchan was probably the brightest young uh, central defender and, and the best footballing central defender um, in the country of his age at that time. I think he was about 23, 24, already captain of Aberdeen. So, so leadership, this is the kind of guy now, this was a good signing. This is the kind of guy that you need if you're building. So he's, he's got Story Moore. He's got Martin Bucker. And he's got young Sammy McElroy, who's the last of the Busby babes and very much um, of United standard, or he's going to be. So it wasn't all doom and gloom. And United were 
and on the face of it, they were buying class. Hmm. Unfortunately, it wasn't to go as smoothly as it should, although Buchan, after a rocky start, settled. Um, misfortune was eventually to, to strike Ian Story more, but that's that's for another day and another episode. Yeah. They did the signings, um, were, were both record signings, but then Martin Buchan first breaking the record, and then Story more breaking it a few weeks later. So um, we should be said as well, in, in the short term, yeah, Buchan did take a little bit of time to sell already in Buchan. <laughs> United had this, um, the, in terms of being a centre-off and a footballing centre-off, it was probably the best that United have or, ever had already. Yes, Because he yes. put the on the ball um, and he was already going to, so it was a forward-thinking move from Musgrove and O'Farrell. Yes. Facilitated, of course, by Busby, but both of the signings had an instant impact. United um, were stabilised. They won, they went on to <coughs> five games in the last uh, ten so United were able to get into eighth place, which is the third season in a row. They finished in eighth, and obviously how they got there, varying degrees of difficulty. United at one point looking like they were going to win the title. By the end of the mm. season, um, Paddy, what was the reflection of O'Farrell's job? Because, I mean, the story that's been told by like, plenty of different people is, and the, the most famous recollection I can remember is um, Paddy Perrins, but it's a longer-term thing where he says Farrell came as a stranger and left as a stranger. But mm-hmm. in the first few months, it was very jovial. He seemed to be enjoying mm-hmm. the the profile of the press. But as soon as um, as soon as the spotlight turned a little bit, the, mm-hmm. I think the first on, on this first day or maybe his first week, he'd been asked about George Best appearing on a television program, and he yes. mentioned Best had made a comment about women, and. O'Farrell was so flummoxed by this, he couldn't understand why he was getting asked a question like that. And yes. I think that kind of profile he was very uncomfortable with. So as soon as the pressure yes. turned, uh, yes, that, that, that's true. But O'Farrell did, um, as we mentioned in the previous episode, he, he was a little bit suspicious of Manchester United right from the incident of, of the day he was recruited in a lay-by on, in Leicestershire. And he was given one salary figure by Matt Busby and another by Louis Edwards, a rather more generous one. And he felt that Busby was trying to un- trying to get him on the cheap, you know. And so that made him suspicious. He then moved into the. I'm sorry to sound a bit like a, a you know, a, a record that stuck, but um, this aging. Uh, stars like Charlton, who was very unhappy, not least with George Best's um, lack of professionalism as he saw it, mm. Dennis's injuries. Um, so, and, and the fact that they still had the ear, as did George of Matt Busby, did um, make um, Frank O'Farrell insecure. And there were times when Musgrove appeared to be running the team. He was not only doing the training, but he was the most visible uh, yeah. uh, you know, off staff member, uh, and and people were saying, "Well, where's O'Farrell?" You know, sitting in his office, wondering what on earth do I do next. <clears throat> the answer, of course, lay in the transfer market, as you said earlier. To that degree, he did manage to um, to get rid of players who, for various reasons, were not good enough or not perceived as good enough for the United era. They included Francis Burns. At the end of this, at the end of the season, part of a clear out. Francis Burns, who we've mentioned before, at times looked like being 
you know, Tony Dunn standard uh, fullback, but suffered terribly from injury problems. We've mentioned John Fitzpatrick's injury problems before. <clears throat> Alan Gowling was just perceived as, as a good player, but not quite yeah. Manchester United. He went to Huddersfield. Burns went to Stoke. Uh, poor John Aston, the hero of the European Cup final, um, who broke his leg the following season, went to Luton, joining another two uh, United alumni there, Don Givens and Jimmy Ryan at Luton were, were already there. So it was it was quite a clear out. And on top of this, George Best had found a new home. He was the lodger of Pat Crerand and his wife Noreen and their three children in a house in sale. This was yet another formula that had been devised to and there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Make George settle down. And it was doomed to the, the same level of success as all the others. <clears throat> Best at the end of the season had been, uh, he effectively announced that he was going to retire. He walked out of um, a Northern Ireland trip. And went to Mar Marbella, as you said earlier, um, and he sort of announced his retirement. It was very short-lived, but obviously, because it was George Best, it, I mean, I'm pretty sure there's probably been a full book written on the fact that George Best went to Marbella. Yeah. Well, of course, weeks. it was. It was a great gig for the aforementioned John Roberts and his fellow, uh, you know, uh, stars of the Manchester football press, because you know what better than a an early summer trip to Marbella, uh, to uh, where they interviewed George on the beach on his 26th yeah. birthday, uh, and <clears throat> he announced a comeback. <laughs> I mean, uh, that he was about to make a comeback. Uh, yeah. So you know, this was uh, you know, I, I, I worked for 40 years as a reporter, but I never got too many jobs on the beach at Marbella. Um, well done, John <laughs> Roberts, but. Uh, uh, it was yes, of course it had its comical elements, um, but uh, you, you know behind it, you know George was was struggling. He had uh, problems with insomnia, which he tended to cure um, with a couple more vodkas before bed, and um, and, and and as I think uh, later, Matt Busby was asked, uh, yeah, but George's problems were exacerbated by this curse of insomnia. And Busby replied, I think he gave us both a, a few sleepless nights. Yeah. Um, 
Best had still been one of United's um, best better players. Even was the idea of bringing Story Moore had worked a little bit of a trick because Story Moore had settled into life really well, but it also helped in taking the pressure off Best. Best scored a few more goals, but I think he sort of thought that these two players aren't going to be enough in the short term, and that's why he made the move that he did and decided to sort of say that he was going to retire. Like I said, very shortly he was back in for pre-season training after that, but. Uh, if you can imagine the best player in the world just saying that they're going to jack it in and then coming back, that's the kind of turmoil that, that United were in at the time. And mm. O'Farrell, yeah, like I said, having been the front, um, not front page, but basically back page, uh, O'Farrell speaks to the mirror every episode, every week, maybe even two or three columns a week at the start of the season. So happy was he to talk to them and indulge in the um, profile of being Manchester United manager and then after Christmas, realising that um, if things aren't going so well, then the questions aren't going to be so favourable um, and you're not always going to look, be able to Ponsal Rose. He shied away from the press. He gave up his column. And, yeah, like the players barely ever saw him in that second half of the season as he really struggled to deal with everything that was going on. And it's understandable, really, because a lot was going on. Um, United finished eighth. In the cup runs, they, they had a fairly good run in both cups, but they were defeated by Stoke City in both games, in both, I say, in the FA Cup and in the League Cup replay in the fourth round. Um, Golden Banks, by all accounts, in inspiring form in both of those games. Um, and Banks, I think, uh, would come to haunt United in, in future episodes as well. But certainly mm. in this occasion, uh, United eliminated from both cups, thanks to, thanks to him. Uh, Right, we'll get on to the squad then because um, we've got a yeah. few new faces to go in the squad this season. Alex Stepney is the first choice goalkeeper, of course. Um, Jimmy Rimmer, another of those squad um, casualties. He's moved on. Obviously, Rimmer, too good a goalkeeper to just stay back up forever, and he's moved on. Um, I think it's Arsenal that he moves on to immediately. Um, yes. And immediately um, become a legend at that club. Well, not immediately. He, he starts the road. Um, on becoming a legend at Highbury. Alex Stepney is the first choice at United with 52 appearances in all competitions and 39 um, appearances in the league. His standing is John Canorton, who's been at the club for a few years now um, and has been patiently waiting for his chance. He's finally get, getting it at the end of the season. These are his only three appearances for the club. He's a goalkeeper from Wigan, uh, makes three appearances at the back end of the season, playing in the draw against Sheffield United and losses to Leicester and Manchester City. Knowlton, highly rated in his youth, actually, played for England youth as a schoolboy and before um, being given his chance in the United first team. He'd been um, on loan at Halifax and Torquay. He'd actually been recalled from the loan at Torquay because he was needed to play in, in three games for United. Um, but these would be his only three games. And then later on in the year, he would move to Sheffield United for £15,000. So another tidy sum recouped by that youth mm, system once yeah. been given a chance in the, in the first team. Francis Burns, as you mentioned, uh, pretty much the first choice for much of the start of the season. Um, scored his single goal. He scored one goal in 25 games, um, 20, um, 17 of those in league. The one goal that he did score came at Leeds in a 5-1 demolition, which, um, which basically prompted... O'Farrell to go into the market and sign the players that he did. Paul Edwards, who'd been a mainstay in earlier episodes, uh, not only is standing really because of the, the dearth of quality elsewhere, six appearances in all competitions, four in the league, 
Steve James' first choice in defence, really, until Martin Buckham arrives. 48 appearances and a single goal, 37 and a goal in the league. Tommy O'Neill yeah. at right. 50 goals, uh, 50, 50 goals from Tommy O'Neill. 50 appearances in all competitions. No, good. <laughs> no goals yeah. for Tommy O'Neill. Um, 37 of those appearances in the league. Dave Sadler does get two goals in 49, one in 37 in the league. Tommy, Tony Dunn, 41 appearances in all competitions, 34 in the league. And he's on to Martin Buchan, scores a single goal um, in 15 appearances, 13 of those in the league. And he actually, actually captained United in his first game against Tottenham Hotspur um, at Whitehall Lane. So the former Aberdeen captain already thought highly enough to um, to captain United already. Um, he's a, I mean, good, you've already given uh, Martin a, a rundown. And I, I gave him a little as well, a little boost in what I was saying about him earlier on, but yeah, club captain on his debut, it was a record signing when he came in, swiftly followed of course by um, by Storymore really hard to pick a fault in Martin Buchan's game because it wasn't one it'd be fitting of the term Rolls Royce and a defender and captain who would grace any United team in history better on his right foot but never caught out on his left never deemed a quick defender but never caught out for pace Never categorised as one of the great readers of the game, and yet you mm. could barely name a player as accomplished as Martin Buchan. And if it seems like I'm giving him too big a build up, you really need to watch games of him where he's marshalling the defence. Outstanding. Um, and he really, like, he made 456 appearances for the club. And I'm not. I'm not overstating it to say he could grace any United team in history and not let them down. You could put him in any great team and you're not going to see Martin Buchan as a weak link, that is for sure. Tony Young, who um, had made his first appearances last season, made seven appearances this season, all in the league. You mentioned um, John Aston before he's moved to Luton. He made 15 appearances this season, mostly as a substitute. Scored a single goal that came in the FA Cup as a substitute. Um, and only nine of his appearances came in the league. John Fitzpatrick, another only to make a, a few, uh, well, one single league appearance this season. Carlos Otore, who had made his debut a few episodes ago, he made uh, just three appearances, two of those, only some, two substitute appearances in the league. George Best, top goal scorer, 26 goals in 53 games, 18 mm. in full in the league. Bobby Charlton, a good, an increased contribution from last time, 12 in 53 in all competitions, 8 in 40 in the league. And Willie Morgan, 3 in 48, like we've always said, not a, a tremendous goal scorer, but a, a tremendous provider. Yeah. One goal in 35 league appearances. It brings us on to Sammy McElroy, who, um, as we said, made his debut this season. Made just 17 and, and four months in the Manchester Derby, three months, in fact. At main road in the 3 3 draw, uh, scored in that game, assisted by George Best, who had promised him that if he scored in the derby, he'd give him a bottle of champagne. And he was good to his word on Monday morning, he brought in a bottle of champagne. Sammy said he wasn't a drinker of the stuff, not like George, and he actually stayed um, in his keep. He actually kept it for about seven or eight years without drinking it. Um, and he regrets doing that, I can tell you. Um, I wish he still had it. Um, George, uh, sorry, Sammy even, um, I say Sammy and George, uh, he's actually labelled the next George Best. He was the first player to be um, given that tag. He was also given another tag, as you mentioned earlier, Paddy. He was the last professional player signed by Matt Busby. Thus, yeah. he became known as the last 
Last Busby Babe, an attacking midfielder, versatile in the forward positions, a drifter, a schemer, good on the ball with a good sense of timing, one of those attacking midfielders who could arrive on the end of crosses. Um, Shared more than just a label with George Best because their Belfast upbringing, of course, um, and homesickness dogged his early weeks at United, early months, in fact, but um, very clearly his own player, and he was unaffected by that noise. In fact, he impressed so much after um, bursting into the team. He uh, made his Northern Ireland debut just three months after his United debut, age 17. He made 20... 21 appearances this season, 16 of those in the league, and he scored four league goals. Brings us on to the forward line. Alan Gowling um, played mostly in midfield this season. I'll, I'll bring up the squad um, statistics, in, uh, the squad tactics in a moment, Charlotte um, looked. But he scored nine goals in 50 games, six in 37 in the league. Brian Kidd. Um, making a good number of appearances this time, um, as we've talked about in previous episodes, complained about not getting a fair chance, but he certainly does this time round. 10 goals in 43 games, 10 in 34 in the league. Dennis Law had, had a tremendous start to the season, really. Um, yeah. Seemed as though he was shaking up the knee problems, but um, they became more frequent in the back half of the season as the pitchers got heavier and opponents didn't have George Best to target as much, so they could um, get stuck into um, Dennis. 13 goals in 42 appearances, 13 in 33 in the league. And you mentioned Ian Storymore. He's the last player to come to in the squad list for this season. Ian Storymore, you mentioned all the great stories about him already. He made 11 appearances in the league this season and scored five goals, which is a great return for uh, someone playing wide. You mentioned him as a talent He's one of these players that sometimes gets called as like one of the flops of this era, but he really wasn't. And you mentioned the, the forthcoming problems which were to follow, which really do influence the, the end story more story. One of the great what-ifs, I know that you've spoken to him before, Paddy, and he's such a lovely man, the way that he speaks about his time at United and so, so polite and everything like that. Um, yeah. What a player he was, uh, Forrest. He really was. Um, he, he was a player who would balance the threat and alleviate the pressure of George. Definitely more of a natural goal scorer than Willie Morgan and had starred. He had a, a connection to United with um, starting at first under Johnny Carey as well. So there was a little bit of that all around. Like you said, he'd agreed to, well, he'd agreed to sign for Derby, being sort of muscled into that before United yeah, got him away. And um, yeah, the only regret at this point, Paddy, I think if, if we're going to just close a summary on um, O'Farrell's um, first season in charge of United, it would be. The, the signings that he made, perhaps like any manager, and perhaps that perhaps this is a sign of his quality, even, that he saw how well things were going and didn't want to pull the trigger too quickly. He didn't want to make too big changes by saying, oh, I'm going to bring in a couple of star names. Ultimately, almost everyone that you speak to, like you know, Stepney, McElroy, they'll all say, if only we'd brought in Storymore and Buchan in October or November, this season <clears> might have looked very differently. And I think that's thing to say isn't it yes it is but you you, you know you've just reeled off the the uh, appearances and so on and and you you're talking about a lot of quality there you know Sadler's still at the club Morgan um you, you know it, it Charlton you know aging yes but I mean you're talking about really top players and it, it is possible that if that transfer you know, the, the, both those two transfers have been done a little bit earlier. It, it could have been a Manchester United 
season. You know what I mean? A, a season where they're contending up there with the best. But um, no, it wasn't to be. Um, and of course, the, there was always the politics in the background. Again, I keep going back to it. Um, clearly, some brutality was required, but it wasn't to come from Frank. Um, it was to come from another manager, but uh, that's for the future. That's for the future episodes. It is indeed. Uh, we'll run through the tactics then. This is the, the most common team this season, although, of course, Buchan coming in later in the season. I guess Buchan in the earlier state, I mean, he was definitely played for instead of James and Sadler uh, to find from his right position in the team because James and Sadler both partnered him at some point. Um, I, I did put um, 4 2 4 in my notes, Paddy, but uh, when I yes. put newspaper columns for this, there was a, a very um, notable column that happened just before Christmas or just around Christmas when United was on top of the table and O'Farrell, uh, one of the sports writers, talked to O'Farrell and they were like the secret of his success kind of thing. And they pictured the team as a 4 3 3. Mm. And the reason why they put Gowling in the middle was he was effectively. Um, start deputising for what Preren used to be, you know, a tall right. coming back at step piece. And I mean, Gowling didn't fit that role. Um, they were treading water. I mean, you can see that defensive access, which once was what Coleman, Mark Jones, Duncan Edwards is now Gowling, James, and Sadler. And it's not the same, you know, Sadler. Yes. I mean, Gowling, Gowling was the kind of player who would do whatever. He was was asked of him. He was intelligent, adaptable, yeah. as he proved. Um, you, you know, later in his career, when he went to Newcastle and uh, and, and was moved forward to and became a, a an extremely uh, successful striker, um, alongside you know helping to make the um, or enhance the reputations of among others uh, Malcolm McDonald. So, I mean, uh, yes, but he wasn't Paddy Crerand. He wasn't. He wasn't one of those, he wasn't an all-round, you know, tackle, pass, yeah. midfield player of that. He did his best and he didn't do badly. He, I, I remember him as a midfield player. He wasn't bad at all. But he, you know, given that there was only Charlton alongside him, you know, he had a lot of tide turning to do, you know. Um, yeah. It must have feel, felt that the opposition was coming to him in waves because you, you know, kid, best, you know, you look at, the, the the team the lineup Willie Morgan you know these are not you know these the, the great players though you know because they attack they're easy to play through so Gowling must have felt like King Canute um but he and he did his best and as you say they did, they did at least finish in the top half of the league which considering the bad run they went on it was over three months when they went without a league win so uh in, in, in the, at the start of 1972. So, um, yeah, it, it could have been worse, but it, it's pretty obvious there where where the positions that that need to be shored up. But uh, anyway, this we'll, we'll, we'll on the in the next episode we'll we'll point to the rather surprising area that Franco Farrell chose to to concentrate on. It wasn't yeah. midfield. And it's strange, isn't it? Cause not, even when you look at that midfield, there's not even a central midfielder in them. No, um, even disregarding the fact that there's not a tackler in there no one um, naturally uh, so you've got Charlton and Morgan asking to being asked to, to pull double duty really and, and really do the things that they're good at as well Morgan still needed to provide chances and Charlton still needed to 
do what he did best. I mean, look at the fact, I mean, Morgan, all right, not a great scorer anyway, but Charlton's still contributing with 12 goals. Um, that's quite good at return, considering the circumstances. Um, yeah, a couple of things to note. Um, obviously, the, the colours this season, Paddy, changed for the first time. You know, traditionally, red, white and blue. Um, yeah. They were red and blue for a long time, and then white came into the rotation. Blue's gone completely this time round. But a couple of things to note from the kids. United wear red, white, and black socks for the first ever time. They they wear black socks. I know that they won one them on a one off or two off occasion beforehand, but they were now a permanent addition to the strip. Um, it was said, I think it was once said that they were brought in after directly after Munich as a, as a mark permanent mark of respect. But obviously that's not the case because United wore mm. red socks for a long time after Munich and this time round. But it may it may well be that that's what they're adopted as now, but. And this was the first time that they were introduced um, as a permanent staple to the United home kit at Black Sox in 1971-72. The away kit, which had been white with red socks, was now all white. Um, so, delighting the um, cleaning ladies back at Old Trafford even more. <laughs> and, um, yeah, marking the move with those red socks. And the away kit, uh, one of my favourite ever kits, this uh, party, and it's one of the often forgotten ones um, I'll try for this screen. I'll get a, a screen grab of it for the for next episode. Yellow shirt, blue shorts, and yellow socks. So a little bit like Brazil, although United were certainly not playing like it. Uh, maybe yeah. one or two games this season, but definitely a really vivid kit, a really beautiful kit as well. And one that, I mean, really only lasted these two seasons, and, and probably because of the memories that have been associated with it, um, rightly so. Um, so yeah, there's United's new yeah. clubs for this season. The well, if, if I may put in, a, I think the worst decision ever made in football um, was, I think the only people who should ever wear yellow are goalkeepers, and I think yeah, all, all of all Brazil, all Brazil, all of all Brazil, all Brazil. But and, the, and their goalkeeper should wear all black. But I yeah. mean, uh, and I'm not a I'm not a fan of yellow for for football strips, but. Uh, you know, it wouldn't do if we we're all the same way. Uh, that, that's, as you say, it, even looking like a wee bit like Brazil is quite helpful. Well, not for United this season, or even or even Norwich, or even Norwich. Oh yeah, they probably play more like them. And don't get me wrong, don't come at me, Norwich fans. Don't, you're yeah. going to have your moment in the sun against us in future episodes. Don't worry oh, about yes. that. There's some <laughs> embarrassment up. Um, yeah, so. Um, yeah, United. This is it marks the trend into very early trend into moving into some garish away kits. Let's say that because there are certainly some to follow. Um, average attendance down uh, it was down in the last episode, but it's up slightly to forty seven thousand one hundred and seventy seven this season. George Best top scorer with twenty six goals. Um, key results, Paddy. Um, it's difficult to pick out because United had such a middling season, but I think the West Ham home game is memorable because of George Best yeah. dancing with Bobby Moore. Uh, Wolves at home is obviously very memorable because it was the, the dropping of George Best and a very seismic move from Mo Farrell. Yeah. And one where he, Farrell sort of made his first decision where he said, I'm going to make this, this decision myself regardless of what anyone else is saying. And he, you know, maybe that was the start of the end for him, even though it was a decision made with the right intentions. Um, but yeah, it was a big, massive headline because it was Wolves and, and, and George Best being dropped. Um, that was the second of seven consecutive losses, and the second from the end of those losses was five-one defeat at Leeds, which, um, as we said, prompted the signings. And um, you can't lose five-one to Leeds, and, and said that it's not one of the most significant results of the season. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Leeds were runners-up in the league title, but they did win the um, FA Cup. Derby won the league title under Brian Clough, and Lee- the League Cup was won by Stoke, who had not denied out. Talk to me a little bit before we end the show, Paddy, about Derby County. Um, obviously, they come from the second division, and Brian Clough, with his first major achievement on the landscape, um, taking British football yes. by storm. I mean, you, you spoke before about it being uh, an exciting time in football as a whole. And a, a lot of that excitement was caused by uh, Clough and Peter Taylor, who, in partnership, I think, when I you look back over, over certainly my years in, 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 in being a football fan over half a century, you talk about the great partnerships, you obviously, particularly Man United fans, think of, of, of uh, Busby and Murphy. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen a more magical football partnership than Brian Clough and Peter Taylor. They just had this lightest touch. They, with Derby County, they, they produced fantastic football with a lot of players who well we spoke before about alan gowling Clough had john mcgovern but john mcgovern played could play on in in europe you know and not look out of place he Clough and taylor were able to get everything out of out of every player whether that player was a superstar or uh, like Dave Mackay, who was, who was one of the probably the most inspired signing, or um, somebody who could do specific things brilliantly. And <clears throat> I do think that you know that that you know you mentioned the George's George Best, who was a genius on the field. Clough and Taylor together added up to genius off the field. Yeah. Uh, they were they were management genius and. Uh, uh, I think, you know, to look back at that period, uh, and bearing in mind this was only the start of Clough, yes, the Ian Story Moore episode showed that he was an eccentric, um, but, you know, that's what often comes with genius. Yeah. Um, Clough often linked with United, um, and I think there was a period where he covered the job but um, yes. you've had the same conversations about as I've had, um, and maybe this um, story with Story Moore um, played into yeah. it a little bit. But they, well, he um, taunted, taunted Busby after winning the league yeah. by by saying, you know, well, Manchester United would like to win the league, but that serves them right for yeah. uh, nicking um, Ian Story Moore f- from us. Well, Busby would probably say, well, it was it was you that tried to pinch him uh, so uh, yeah that was good nature it wasn't good nature bantered busby liked most people but he didn't like the brashness of Clough. he didn't like Clough's style and um uh, you know Clough coveted uh, the scale of manchester united so yeah. they weren't best pals no no and and you're quite right i mean yeah maybe not covering the United job specifically, but he would go on record like once or twice, and we're talking over the next 20 odd years where he would make a, a, a comment about like, I'd do a better job than such and such at Old Trafford. Mm. 
Um, yeah. yeah, you're quite right, Busby. Um, not in opposition to him, but not greatly fond of him. And also, any conversation anyone has with Martin Edwards, if you bring up Brian Clough, he'll just immediately shut down the idea that he was ever considered for the role. Um, mm. as, as interesting as that story would have been, there, there would be no given to it whatsoever because they just completely shut it down from the start of the conversation. Yeah. So um, but it would have been an interesting one. But yeah, Brian Clough, like you said, the way that he, he started this work with, um, let's say, provincial clubs and, and making um, magic happen was um, the start of a clearing era in um, good for Derby County, who um, yeah. thoroughly deserved league champions, even if United could claim at least to not have been beaten by them this season. Um, yeah, but we'll see if they can recover for the 72-73 um, season. I'm sure Frank will have a better time next time around. If, you are, if you've enjoyed the podcast, give us a like and subscribe on YouTube. Join in the comments section. I always like to um, have discussions with you in there. If you're listening back on the audio podcast, please be sure to like and subscribe on there as well. Leave a review on the platform you're listening on. We will be back next time to cover Franco Farrell's successful second season at Manchester United. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.